Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you, Pastor Josh. My favorite hymn is There Is a Fountain. I love that song so much. Great, great job this morning. Hey, Psalm 133, if you have your Bible, Psalm 133. Well, I finished up my series on, um, uh, you know, the supernatural, boo, and uh, here's what I want to do for the next few weeks. I try to do this at least one time a year around this time. In October, uh, Peavine celebrated its 186th anniversary, 1836, I believe, so when it started, we don't know exactly what Sunday it was, but it's around our anniversary every year. I like to remind us about some things about our church and just preach to the church for at least one Sunday. I want to do it for two Sundays uh, this year. Last year when I did it, I walked us through our, what we call our value statements, our focus statements, Sunday focus, gospel focus, and city focus. And what I want to do over the next two weeks is walk us through our mission statement. And I'll do that today. And today I'm just going to tackle one subject. I, I want to preach on this, the very beginning of our mission statement, one church. What does it mean to be one church? Well, I want to read the scripture to start off with, Psalm 133. Would you stand with me in honor of reading the Word of God? And if you're joining us online, thank you for watching us online at our Rossville campus this morning and at our Dalton campus. We've got a good contingent of folks there this morning as well. No matter how you're joining us, uh, whether you're online, at a campus, location. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. Well, if you're new to our church, especially maybe in the last six months or a year, um, some of this stuff you've heard and wondered really what we meant by this, and I want to share today. Look at Psalm 133, Look, be, and we're just going to read the one verse, uh, verse one. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Thank you. You may be seated. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but I want to set it up before I get there. A study by a group called One Poll recently revealed what is the most, uh, what, it, what it is that most couples fight over. What are most of your fights over? They revealed a list of the top 30 things that most couples fight over. Now I want to see if you find yourself here on this list somewhere. So number 10, not making the bed is a hot topic. So if you get out, make the bed. Your marriage will be better. Number nine, not dusting properly. I feel like this is coming at the guys, but I'm not sure here. How about number eight? Dropping crumbs in the bed. Nobody's using the table. Number seven, leaving dirty clothes on the floor, right? That's aggravating. I don't know if it's worth a five, but yeah. How, how about number six? Not squeegeeing the shower door glass wall after showering. And a whole bunch of guys just went, now what? What am I supposed to do? Number five, whose turn it is to clean the floor, vacuuming, mopping, etc. Number four, what do most couples fight over? Starting but not completing the housework. Number three, what do most couples fight over? Third thing on the list, not putting your dishes away. Number two, I'm telling you, they polled all women. Number two, leaving the toilet seat up. But I do want you men 
We squeaked in the number one thing, couples fight over. This is all the women's fault. Number one, leaving lights on around the home. The thing we fight over the most is leaving lights on around the home and leaving the toilet seat up. What was number 30 on the list? Can I show you what number 30 was? How to manage the bills. And so can I make a point for a second? We're fighting over this. As a matter of fact, the research says this, that we are worried about some of the things that don't matter. Here's what they said. Uh, Let me show you this. Three in five respondents admit their domestic disputes can lead to the complete breakdown of the relationship. The complete breakdown of the relationship. So let me go backwards. What leads to the complete breakdown of the relationship? Leaving the lights on at home and leaving the toilet seat up. The relationship is falling apart. However, do you know what probably the most important thing on this list was? Number 30. We're not breaking up over the things that matter. We are worried about the things that do not matter, and we are unconcerned about the things that do matter. We're having a complete breakdown in our homes over leaving the lights on, the toilet seat up, and not putting the dishes away. Meanwhile, probably the thing that will get you in the most trouble, and that is how you manage your finances, is number 30 on the list. So again, we are worried about things that do not matter, and we are unconcerned about the things that do matter, and we find our homes breaking up over the trivial. Unfortunately, it's common in marriage. And unfortunately, it's common in church as well. Too many churches have lost their reputation Too many churches have lost their community. Too many churches have lost their kingdom effectiveness. Too many churches have lost their religion and their way by letting the little things in life get in the way of the big things in life. So we've lost our total effectiveness to reach the loss in our community because we are arguing over the trivial, not even the things that matter. Can I tell you this morning, the fact is churches rarely break up over big issues of doctrine. It's just rare. Does it happen? Of course it happens occasionally, but it's, it's just so rare that it happens. Churches aren't breaking up over the big things. Churches are breaking up and getting sideways about the things that at the end do not matter. We, we're breaking up over procedures where a church gets more concerned about its bylaws than it does the Bible. We're breaking up over our preferences uh, when it comes to what type of music we sing or what color the carpet is. We're breaking up over personalities. That is, it is so discouraging as a pastor when people in the church get sideways with one another and neither one will act like Christians and we're losing our effectiveness uh, because we're breaking up over procedures and preferences and personalities. And can I tell you, I hear from pastors almost every week. I hear from pastors almost every week. I mean, a phone call from one this week. And the church is splitting apart over procedures and preferences and personalities. Can I tell you, all of that is not by accident. 
part of the devil's plan is to defeat the church through internal strife. Jesus said he was going to do it. As a matter of fact, let me show you what Jesus said. He said he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and left. If you follow that statement through throughout the parable, the weeds among the wheat are, are tares among the wheat. It is, it is there are people in the church who are not even Christians. But listen, they have been planted here by the enemy himself. And they're here for one's purpose. They are here to thwart the plan of God. It's why we preach the gospel over and over and over. It's why I call even church members to be saved. Because the enemy, the devil, is making sure that in every church that's trying to do anything for the kingdom of God, he's dropping lost people who are members of a church, who have their name on a church roll, who will serve. He's dropping them in among the saved people for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to defeat the kingdom of God from the inside. Paul talked about it. Paul talked about it in the book of Romans chapter 16. He said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles. Contrary to the teaching that you have learned, Paul said, avoid them. Because such people do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. Oh, there's a whole sermon here, but it, it goes back to exactly what Jesus was saying in Matthew. Paul said the same thing in Romans 16. Paul said there are tares among you. There, there are weeds among the children of God. And the reason the weeds are there, they are there to create division. They are there to bring obstacles. They are there to hinder the work of God. And Paul said avoid them. And can I tell you something about tares and weeds? Tares and, tares and uh, uh, weeds? They may be the nicest people in the church sometimes. Deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. Smooth talk and uh, flattering words. The enemy will put weeds in the church just to cause confusion and strife. He'll put people in the church just to create division and to build an audience and lead people into disagreement and confusion. Now listen, we know that's what he wants to do. We know that is part of his plan. We know that is how he operates. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? One of the things we want to do at Peavine is to head it off at the pass. Now, now every time I preach this way, somebody says, Ooh, he's letting somebody have it this morning. I'll tell you that. He must have got an email this week. or let, No, I, I, I didn't have any of that. I, I don't, I, nobody sent me an email. Nobody's got, I'm not letting anybody have it. Can I say this? I'm letting us all have it. Because when we've baptized 145 people so far this year, when we're growing, when most churches are dying, when we're averaging 100 more a week than we did before COVID came around, can I tell you, we will absolutely make the enemy angry. And so here's what we want to do. We want to acknowledge that we know the enemy works this way. We want to acknowledge, we know that it's a possibility that there are weeds in our midst, that there are 
people planted here by the enemy to cause division. And even knowing that, we want to be different than most churches. Let me tell you what we want to do. We want to lean into the awkwardness. We want to lean into the confusion. We want to lean into the division. We want to lean into the uh, uh, controversy and not let it happen. We want to have a calling on our church greater than any one person that can accomplish. A mission, a vision that's going to require all of us laying aside our differences in pursuit of the common goal of the kingdom of God. And so what is that mission that's bigger than all of us? I'm going to talk about it more next week, but that mission that's bigger than all of us is we will reach every person in Peabody City with the gospel. We want to reach every person in Peabody City with the gospel. And can I tell you this this morning? That'll never happen unless we are in unity together as the body of Christ. This can never be a possibility if internal strife and struggle breaks out and we forget our enemy is outside these walls, not of flesh and blood, and we start thinking it's inside these walls. You read the book of Acts, you get to Acts chapter 2, where you see right in the beginning of the gospel of Acts. Go, by, go home and read Acts 1 and 2, church that turned the world upside down. 3,000 people got saved in the first New Testament sermon ever preached. 3,000 people got saved. And the amazing thing about 3,000 people coming to faith in Christ, that before 3,000 people came to faith in Christ, here's what the Bible says. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That there was a unity in the church and before 3,000 people got saved. And by the way, then 5,000 people got saved. And Acts chapter 4 saying every day people were getting saved. Before those great things happened. And that church went from 120 people hiding out in an upper room to tens of thousands of people. The Bible predicates it with this. They were all in one court in one place. And so if that's going to happen here, can I tell you our vision, our dream of reaching Peavine City with the gospel of, of us running 4,970 people here so that we can go out and have the resources and the manpower to continue to reach that 497,000 people in our area. If that's going to happen here, then this must be true. We must be one church. What does that mean? We won't agree on everything, but we're going to have to agree on the main thing. And what is the main thing? It's our one mission, reaching every person in Peavine City with the gospel. Uh, where are we going to start? We're going to start with that 1%. How are we going to reach 5 thousand people nearly we're going to do it one person at a time as you reach your corner of the city one person at a time and so today I want to break that down and I want to talk about us being one church what do we mean when we say we won't agree on everything but we'll agree on the main thing we want to be so unified we can do something great for the kingdom of God so how can we be one church I'm going to make I'm going to make three big statements today and then some small statements under those that I think is just a good reminder for a church that is growing and trying to reach people. And we know the devil's going to come after us. So can we talk about what does it mean to be one church? Let me make three statements today. I'd love for you to take notes if you've got something right on. Number one is this. We will be one if we are okay not believing the exact same 
we'll be okay. We'll be one if we're okay. Not believing the exact same thing. Now, when you read that, you might get a little confused and say, well, preacher, aren't we all Baptists? Well, I'm going to tell you this. Every time we bring somebody on staff, we say this. Every time I have a leaders meeting and talk about standards, you know, for, to be on the stage or to be in leadership, I say this. We are unapologetically a conservative Baptist church. That means we are fundamental in our theology and we are conservative in our standards and practices. We believe that in order to be salt and life in, light in a dark world, that we can't just be like the world is and influence them. We've got to be different than the world. And the Bible called us to be salt and light to a world. And so we believe that we need to be fundamental in our theology. We need to be conservative in our standards and practices. And so if you come from another denomination, we welcome you into our fold. But our doctrine is conservative Baptist doctrine. You say, well, doesn't that settle the issue? Well... You're not going to believe this, but not all Baptists agree the same way. For example, let me, let me run down. Can I run down the list? There are American Baptists and Southern Baptists. There are Primitive Baptists and Progressive, progressive National Baptists. There's the Reformed Baptist Convention, the Independent Baptist Churches, the North American Baptist Conference National Association, North American Baptist Conference. There's the National Association of Free Will Baptists. There's the National Baptist Convention of America. There's the National Primitive Baptist Convention. There's the Baptist General Conference. There's the General Association of General Baptists. They're real general. <laughs> then there's the General Association of Regular Baptists, and the list goes on and on and on. I didn't even name all the Baptist denominations. And why are there all those denominations? Because they all believe slightly differently within Baptist theology and ecclesiology. So they're all slightly different. And so even if you get a room full of Baptists together, how are you going to deal with that? Let alone when you get people coming from, and praise God, we'll take your Methodist background, Pentecostal background, all that. Well, how are we going to agree on that? Number one, this, let me say this, we must agree on the majors. There are certain things that have to be non-negotiable in order for us to be in, cell, uh, in fellowship. What are the, some of those things? I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list. What are some of those things? Salvation by faith alone. Sola fide. We, sola fide. we believe you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing or minus nothing. You've got to believe in the virgin birth of Christ. You've got to be, believe in the deity of Christ. You've got to believe in the resurrection of Christ. You've got to believe in the authority, infallibility, inerrancy of the Word of God. We believe in baptism by immersion. We believe in heaven and hell and eternity. That's just to name a few. And if we disagreed on those, we would create confusion and division in our church. For example, if we disagreed on salvation, how could we as a church ever call somebody to be saved? If you've got one pastor over here that believes one way and another pastor over here that believes another way, you say, preacher, it never happened. It absolutely happens. So we're going to have to agree that we're going to put the big rocks in and we're all going to believe on those big rocks. Now, do you have to believe everything we believe in order to be a member? I suppose not. But in order to be in leadership, for sure, you've got to agree to uh, that. But it also means this. We must agree on the majors. But number two, we will agree to disagree on the minors. 
We aren't going to say that you have to all believe on everything exactly the same way. And can I tell you this? It's an impossibility. There are areas of Scripture where it is difficult to be dogmatic. So we're not going to be. Any of you that have had conversations with me on this know that I have no problem saying, I don't know. I'm trying to look something up for you, but I don't know. There's some areas and some things we're just going to be all over the map on. How about this? The timing of the rapture and the second coming. I don't know. And you don't either. So to be incredibly dogmatic, Jesus is just going to show both of us up the way Georgia showed Tennessee up this weekend. Sorry, that shouldn't have come out. Hey, whether it's wrong to go to a restaurant or pump gas on Sundays, I grew up in a standard, you're not allowed to go to a restaurant and pump gas. We're not going to argue about stuff like that. With you all to celebrate certain holidays, we're not going to argue about stuff like that. We just aren't going to build a church on those things that don't matter. Now listen, if you serve in leadership, we're going to hold you to a higher standard than we do just membership. Why would we hold leadership to a higher standard? Well, we're told to in the Bible, James 3, 1, not many should become teachers or leaders, my brother, because you know that you'll receive a stricter judgment judgment a stricter judgment Luke chapter 12 Jesus said it as well but the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating from from everyone who has been given much much will be required and from the one who's been entrusted with much even more will be expected so listen we, we got to understand that if you're in leadership you've been entrusted with more so more is going to be expected of you that's a principle of the Bible that's a principle of Jesus but does that mean you have to agree with, with us on everything to be a member serve no we understand we are going to disagree to disagree on some things that we, we say don't matter no, no, number three I want to say this in general just so you know, we're going to follow historic Baptist doctrine. Again, about 15 dif- different Baptist denominations in America alone, but the majors are defined well, and we're not looking to change our doctrinal stance. Let me tell you the fourth thing about this as well. Protecting the doctrine is the pastor's charge. When you call me to be the pastor, you handed me the safekeeping of the doctrine of this church. That's why I won't deviate. I'm going to take what you handed me, which is where I believed anyway, and we discussed it even as a pastor search committee before you called me, that the organization, proclamation, and protection of the doctrine of the church is a charge giving to the pastor. Paul even said that to 2 Timothy, writing to young Timothy as a pastor. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul said, as a pastor, you're to hold to the pattern of sound teaching. That is your responsibility, Timothy. It is your job as the pastor to hold on to the sound teaching of the doctrine. And that's my charge, P. Vine. And I can tell you, I'm not going to deviate much. We are going to hold the historic Baptist doctrine. That's what you called me to do, and that's what I'll do. I love it this week. In the last couple of weeks, we've had some small group leaders who have disagreed with their Sunday school material. It's been one of the greatest joys of mine and Pastor Jeremy's life as they've called us and said, hey, we don't quite agree with this. We don't feel like this is something the pastors of our church would want us teaching. And listen, can I tell you how proud that makes a pastor? Knowing that I've been given the safe uh, uh, the, the safeguarding of the doctrine of our church, but we even have small group leaders who are like, hey, we get it. What do you want us to do in this situation? So can we be one? Can, can we be one and not all agree on the same thing? Absolutely we can be one. Absolutely. We're just going to have to agree to agree on the majors and agree to disagree on the minors. 
What does it mean to be one church? Number two, it means this, that we will be one if we're okay, not doing things the exact same way. What do you mean, preacher? Well, most church problems aren't over doctrine. They are over the other things. Can I talk about the other things for just a moment? Three things I want to say about us being one church in this area. Number one, I want to say this. Methods aren't sacred. Can I say something about you? And I can say this about you because I can say it about me. You know how we all like to do things? Generally, you know what we all like to do? Every one of us in this room, I don't care how young you are, how old you are, you know what we all like? We all like doing things the way we used to do them. You know why? We, as creatures, we don't like change. That's it. Most pastors I hear all the time, they're saying, I'm trying to get my church to change. I'm trying to get my church to do exactly what I used to do 20 years ago. And I said, well, that's not change. You need to change a, a lot of times along the way. We all have this mechanism within us. This, this, we, we look back. Here's what we do. If you have any age on you whatsoever, you look back with fondness and nostalgia on how the church used to operate, and then we gravitate. We have this natural gravitation to those methods. And listen, I want to tell you today, none of those methods, then or now, then or now, is sacred. So hear me this morning. We aren't trying to do things the way we used to do them. We're trying to do things to help us reach people who are dying and going to hell. So if the old way is best, hear me, we'll do it the old way. I don't have a preference. But if it's not, we'll find another way to do it to help us reach people with the gospel. Unless God says, do it this way, he leads the method of accomplishing his will up to us in order to realize the culture we're in and do what will help us reach our culture. You have a missionary that goes overseas. You know how they don't do it? The way we do it in America. Because they want to figure out how that culture can best be reached and do what will reach that culture. So just know. My methods are not sacred. Your methods are not sacred. There are no sacred methods in the Bible. Methods aren't sacred. But number two, we can't let preferences be deal breakers. I mean, we like to canonize our preferences, make them part of the Bible. What do we mean when we say preferences? How about music or how about dress or how about translations of the bible or sermon subjects for the sake of the mission none of those things should be deal breakers we should be able to set aside our preferences for the sake of those who need jesus let's not let preferences be deal breakers and then thirdly i want to tell you this as a church there is a method to our ministry because i know when i preach this here's what everybody's saying yeah but preacher you always get your way no i don't if you think I sit in a staff meeting and say, here's the way I want it, here's the way it's going to be done, you don't understand how I operate. We sit in a staff meeting and we say, what's the best way to do this that will glorify God and get the mission done for the sake of the gospel? We're not doing what I want. We're doing what will help us reach our goal. 
Now, you don't know this. I've never done it for you. I've got a whole formula. I was at a church this week, uh, 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 training a church staff in this this week. I've got a whole formula. Was I, when I was at the North American Mission Board and the Georgia Baptist Convention, one of the things I got to do was study highly evangelistic churches and figure out what they did. And we kind of developed a, a method to the ministry that I, I dubbed the blueprint of an evangelistic church. And I've traveled the entire nation teaching this to other churches. It's obvious. And look, it's the pattern we're following here we absolutely follow it because there is a method to doing ministry that we ought to incorporate into our church's life to help us reach we're just not doing things willy-nilly there are things that matter but can can I give you can I give you a couple of examples right here for example number one I I know I know sometimes uh, people think the, the the music is loud or the preaching is loud the music especially is loud and I get sometimes it's loud and hear me I appreciate our sound guys so much I mean that Dan and that whole team back there Mark they do a fantastic job every week at our campuses they do a fantastic job if you think that job is easy you do not understand that job we'd encourage you to sign up for C4 go through the training and go volunteer we need all the volunteers we can get back there such a di- difficult job there are more buttons back there than you'll find anywhere on the planet I don't understand what's going on back there it's difficult but listen we unapologetically run it a little bit loud and you say well why do you run it loud there's a reason we do it we're trying to reach men unapologetically reach men why don't you want to reach women yes but all the studies say if you reach the men they bring their family with them if you reach the women they bring them with them so we, we gear ter- church towards men. I gear my sermons towards men. reason I talk a lot about sports is because I want men, I, w- I want to connect with men when it comes to sports. And research says that men don't like to hear themselves sing. Can I get an amen from some guys out there? Me included. I sing terribly. Now for all our men on our stage who have good voices, praise God. For the other 95% of us, we don't like it. And here's what research says. If a man can hear himself sing, he will disengage from worship, not for that service, but permanently. So sometimes if you run it real low, and by the way, that's the reason we sing the radio version of songs. We don't choralize music here. We sing what you hear on the radio because you can choralize music. And when you choralize music, sometimes a choral version will turn right and and the radio version will turn left. And if a man thinking you're singing the radio version turns left and he finds himself a soloist out in the middle of the congregation, you know what he does? He quits singing not that Sunday, but permanently. And we embarrass a man and, and... I mean, I know, I know when the music's too, too low because you know, you know what? My wife will say to me, I love to hear you sing. <laughs> and I've never asked her, but that's probably code for I wish they'd turn it up in the back because <laughs> I can't sing. So there's a method to the ministry. Now, let me, let me give you another one. Let me, let me announce this one. So you didn't know this. Last year, Sunday fell on December 26th. And we didn't know it, but we gave you a test last December. We made it perfect for you to come to church. One service, 930. Let's see how many people come. On December 26th, the day after Christmas, because we knew this year Sunday was on Christmas. Last year on the day after Christmas, we had 400 people out of 1,500 people show up last Sunday, last year. So we said, well, that informs us this year. If only 400 people will show up after the day after Christmas, probably less than that are going to show up the day of Christmas. And so we determined 
What's the best way to reach our ministry, to reach every person in Peavine City with the gospel? So here's what we're doing this Christmas. This Christmas, we're having two candlelight services on December 24th that are going to be more like a Sunday morning worship service, but they are going to be fantastic. The music is going to be awesome. I'm going to preach that day. We're going to have a fantastic candlelight service. Those two Saturday services are going to be phenomenal. I think one's at three, one's at five. It's going to, I'm telling you, it's going to be wide open because here's what we feel like. It takes us, we ran the numbers this week, it takes us approximately 300 volunteers to operate on Sunday morning. And we've already got people blocking out that Sunday telling us they're not going to be here on the, on the church calendar for that day. So we don't think we can even have enough to have nursery that day, to preschool that day. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of move Sunday to Saturday and have those two big Saturday services just like we went on Sunday. And then we're going to have an, an approximately... 20-minute online service only on Sunday that we're going to ask you to play in your home that day. And here's why we think that's even better. Because if you'll play that in your home, I'll get to preach the gospel to somebody you've been begging to come to church and they won't come. And we think we can reach more lost people on that Sunday by not having in-person church, but having it online only, then we can reach if we had in-person church. You say, I can't believe we're not going to have church on Jesus' birthday. Can I ask you this? Do you go to church when Christmas is on a Tuesday? And can I tell you this? December 25th is not Jesus' birthday. Theologians tell us it's probably in the spring. So unless you just think we don't want to have church on Sunday, no, we, we want to have church on Christmas Day, but last year only 400 people showed up the day after Christmas. We'll have less this year. So we said to ourselves, how can we most reach people with the gospel? And we feel like this is the way we can reach most people. So I'm not saying it'll work. I'm saying give us one year and let us try it because there is a method to the ministry that we are doing. And we can advance the kingdom of God if we're okay. You say, well, preacher, what if I don't like the way we're doing something one day? Can I tell you how to deal with that? Give you three ways to deal with that. If you don't like how we're doing something, come talk to me and me only. Don't talk to my wife. Nobody, and by the way, again, y'all think I'm fussing. I'm not fussing. This preventative met. Some of y'all were going to go say something bad about me today, and I'm just stopping you from doing it today, all right? So come talk to me. Don't talk to one of the pastors. Don't talk to one of the staff. Don't talk to anybody related to me. Come talk to me. I'm, I, I'd love to talk to you about it. Number two, just pray for me and hope I get more wise and more in tune with God. Or number three, how about just don't give it another thought and move on and chalk it up that if you were doing things You'd do them differently, but yet you, you know there'd be people who didn't like the way you did them either. And so let's just all, all agree to get along and remember my statement I told you when I became the pastor. If it don't matter, it don't matter. It's bad English, but it's good, good thinking. Just know that really most of the time or really all of the time, there's a reason we are doing what we're doing. And we'll be one if we'll, we'll, we'll agree that, hey, we're not all going to agree on how to operate or how to do something. Just know we're, we're trying our best. Number three, we'll be one if we all show grace. Having said all that I've said, if we're going to do something for God as a church, we have to have grace towards one another just like the Bible says we should. 
Can I show you what the Bible says, Colossians 3.13? I love the New Living Translation of this verse. It says, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Just make allowances for each other's faults. What does that mean? That means five realities you need to know there. Number one, it means this. People will make mistakes. Can I tell you this? People do dumb stuff. They will they will hurt you. They will say wrong things. They will do wrong things. They will think wrong things. It could, it, it could be a tear. Hear me, it could be somebody that needs Jesus. How do you respond in those situations? You respond with grace. Look at what Peter said. He said, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. If we really love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're willing to overlook and forgive them for hurts and wrongs in our lives because we know people are going to make mistakes. And why do you need to forgive them? Well, you need to forgive them because, number two, you're going to make mistakes. Can I say this about you? You're going to do dumb stuff too. You're going to show up and preach in a, in a college jersey one day in a room full of Tennessee fans half the time. You'll do dumb stuff. And you want other people to give you grace, and the Bible says you'll get just as much as you give. Can I tell you the third thing? I'll make mistakes. I'm trying my best, but I am not perfect. I will not be perfect. I cannot be perfect. There'll be times we'll make a decision and it won't be the right decision. And you know what? We're not dumb. We'll chalk it up to, okay, now we know. Now we know. There are oftentimes we're making a decision and I'm trying to do the best I can and I'm not sure. So would you give me some grace knowing I'm going to make a mistake but my heart's in the right place? Can I show you the fourth thing? Our staff will make mistakes. Like we got pastors, support staff, directors. We have a great staff. I mean a fantastic staff. Our staff to a man and woman loves Jesus and loves this church. But can I tell you about all 20-something employees we have at this church? They are not perfect. They're going to have bad days and they're going to do dumb stuff. And they need the same grace you want us to give to you. And the fifth thing, I'm finished. Know this, that we will confront division quickly. We're going to lean into division. You know why? Because we know division is never from the Lord. It's never from the Lord. Be careful what you say about the church. Be careful what you say about others. Be careful what you post online about the church, what you post online about others. We can only be one if we show grace to our mistakes and we quickly confront division that comes into the church. There it is. Y'all thought I was going to say something cute about football today, huh? And this is what I roll out. Would you stand with me across the room? This is the only way we can be one church. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, when the Bible says they were all accord in the upper room, can I, can I promise you this? They all didn't believe the same thing. We're going to find out chapters later on. There were disagreements on doctrine, but not doctrine that was deal-breaking. 
We're not all going to do same things the same way, but can we agree that God called me to be the pastor and will you trust my heart that I'm doing the best? And, and even when we all make mistakes, can we say this? We'll all be one if we show grace, grace, grace. You've got to show grace because you're going to need grace one day. I, I'm begging you to give me grace. I'm begging you to give me grace because I need it. Our staff needs it and you need it. And we want to do something bigger than us. There's nobody in the world that thinks a church like Peavine, who when they see where we're located, I hear it, I hear it all the time. I can't believe there's a church growing like that where it is. We're growing faster than there are churches growing in the metro Atlanta area with literally millions of people, a million people or more in a 20-mile radius. We're growing faster than they are. And the devil's not going to like it. The devil's going to hate it. And can I tell you, if, if this is the first time here, first time watching online, can I, can I tell you this? Um, there, there's nothing going on. It's not once a year, this same time every year, I like to preach through the mission and vision and value of our church. This is just the year I'm covering the one church part of it. It'll probably be two years before I mention it again, but I want to hit it while we're here. Why? Because we have a God-sized task. And sometimes we get all up in our feelings and we think everybody has to be like us and think like us and agree with us. Can we just be a church that shows grace? And be unified so that we can glorify God and evangelize our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to do something. Can I do something a little hokey? And by the way, if you're, if you're online, Jeremy's got a word for you now. I want you to hear what he's got to say. If you're at a camp. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that message. And what an important, um, what a, what an important thing unity is in the life of our church and that we're that we're on the same page uh, in reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, maybe this morning you're watching online and uh, you've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner and your sin separates you from God and there's nothing you can do or I can do to fix that. And you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross and His death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, He bridged that separation between God and man. You've got to believe that. And then you have to confess Him as the personal Lord and Savior of your life. And maybe God has spoken to your heart this morning and you need to give your heart and life to Christ. In the quietness of this moment, right there, wherever you are, tell God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and on the third day, He rose again. Lord, right now I ask You to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to You, in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, I wanna say welcome to the family, and we wanna celebrate that with you. In fact, we wanna send you some some books and some information that'll help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. Hey, it's been awesome to be together worshiping this morning online. I'm, I'm thankful for you and I uh, hope you have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you next week. 
We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.